The last three, and now this is the fourth week of Advent, we've been in the same text every week, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, and we just found kind of really providentially in a really neat way that just as, as Josh was preaching through Romans, he got to this point that he was ready to go on Romans 5, and we found in that passage all of these four classic themes that are associated with Advent and these candles. And so the first week we had joy, I'm sorry, the first week was peace. Second week we saw joy and rejoicing uh, in this text in Romans 5. Then we saw hope last week and we're gonna cap it off here tonight looking at love as we see it in this text. So all that said, Roman candles, the love of Christmas, Romans 5. Now that I've put you to sleep, stand back up and let's hear together God's word in the scriptures. Scriptures say this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. Let's remain standing and pray together. Father in heaven, God, thank you for your word and the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for the, the work you have already done in this place by your Holy Spirit, Lord, through, through the scriptures that have, bre- have been read, through the prayers that have been prayed and the songs sung, God, thank you that you are everywhere present and everywhere working. We know that you will continue that in this time. We give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, church, as we dive into this fourth and final Advent theme of love here tonight, Romans 5, I find myself curious. I want to ask a question. How many of you are familiar with or have seen uh, this particular movie? I think I've got a slide for it. This one. Yeah? I see, I see a few hands. I didn't hear, hear a lot of verbal enthusiasm, so I don't know what, what that, how to quite interpretate. No, interpretate? I don't know how to interpretate that, guys. <laughs> Do you know how to interpretate the word interpretate? No? Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop that now. <clears throat> um, so anyway, this movie. So let me hear again. How many of you know it? Yeah, okay, I see, I see, some, see some life. Um, so if you're not familiar, as you can see, this is the Charles, well, I'm sorry, it's the Muppet version of Charles Dickens' classic work, A Christmas Carol. Uh, and so in my mind, in my family experience, in my life, this is kind of a class, this is classic Christmas goodness, right? This is something, this is a good way to spend a couple hours in the Christmas season every year. Um, you may disagree, but th- this, is, this is my experience. And, you know, as is the case with pretty much all Muppet movies, uh, if, you're, if you've seen any of them or been familiar, there's been quite a few over the years. Uh, so in this one is no different. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of humor, a lot of, a lot of heart. Uh, in this one, it's a musical, so there's lots of singing. Uh, but I thought of this one in particular uh, as we come to this Sunday and as we come to this theme of love because there's one particular song 
in this, uh, in this film that's entitled, It Feels Like Christmas. Uh, there it is. And um, just a little quick background. This song is sung uh, by this second of three spirits who, who come and visit this protagonist, Ebenezer Scrooge. You guys know Scrooge, right? Even if, you're, if you haven't seen this movie, you probably know Scrooge. Right? And so the whole idea, the whole premise of the film is Scrooge is being visited by these specters, these spirits, and, and in the course of this, spoiler alert, his heart has, is changed, his mind has changed, he, is, he becomes a new man uh, by the end of it. So this song, though, is sung by the second of these, of these uh, three spirits, who is the ghost of Christmas presents. And in the Muppet version, anyway, he's this really big, really jolly, really uh, forgetful, lovable Muppet spirit guy. Um, so he's the guy who sings this song, and I want to just read for us just a, a, a few uh, a, you know, lines from it, uh, a couple of the verses. So it goes like this. Thinking about love, Christmas, it says... It's in the singing of the street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true, wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas. A cup of kindness that we share with another, a sweet reunion with a friend or a brother. In all the places you find love, it feels like Christmas. And then the bridge, it is the season of the heart, a special time of caring, the ways of love made clear. It is the season of the spirit, and the message, if we hear it, is make it last all year. It goes on from there. There are a couple more verses. Uh, it repeats itself a little bit, and, but that's, that's essentially the song. And, you know, it's, it's a fun one. It's a catchy one. If you hang out with me long enough over the course of a year, which no one I know would want to do that, but, but if you did, you'd probably catch me singing it at some point just in the course of everyday life. It might be around Christmas time, or it might be in June. I just, you know, it's in the singing of a street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. Yeah, you right? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. This is this is why I don't sing. Uh, I, I bang on things. That's all I'm good for. Um, but that's the song. It's fun. It's catchy. It's positive. It's endearing. It's all of these things. But to me, it's also something else. What it is, is it's an example of something that I, I think we see over and over and over again in, in America, in our pop culture, and it's this kind of inherent linking, it's this tight-knit idea uh, that in people's hearts and minds that Christmas and love go together. Like goodwill to all mankind and Christmas, love, good feelings, warmth, this is all just, just one thing, that it's a package deal. And yet, without really establishing why. Like, why all these nice, warm, happy things? Why is it, you know, we might ask the, the ghost of Christmas present, why is it that wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas? Why should that necessarily be the case? I don't think the Muppets have an answer for us, at least that I've ever heard. I don't think generally our culture aside from Christ, doesn't have an answer for this, this question. Why love and Christmas? Why, why good feelings? You know, the placards that we see, the, the, the other movies, the songs that we sing, it's all over the place. The Bible, though, God's word in the scriptures, in the gospel does have an answer. It does have a reply and an explanation as to why love and Christmas are a natural pairing, why they go together. 
The answer is, on one level, it's as simple and as clear as the verse that we already read earlier in this service. Right? John 3.16, where we're told by John as the author of this gospel that it is for the fact that God the Father so loved this world that he gave his only son to become one of us. He gave his only son to be with us as our Emmanuel in order to redeem us and to rescue us in accordance with his word and his promises so that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. That is why, you know, we see this, we see this, uh, this pairing, the motivation of God the Father sending his son is love. If we look at the scriptures, not only is the motivation of God the Father sending Jesus love, God so loved the world, we also see the fact that the mission of Jesus in the, in the scriptures, in the gospels, as we unpack it, that too is a mission of love. Biblically speaking, we see that Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us because of God's great love for us. So we see in John 3, places like Ephesians 2, I think I have listed up there somewhere. And also at the same time, we see that God became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ in order to satisfy the requirements of love. The demands of, of love itself as declared in the law, in God's word. So we, we look at who Jesus is, we find that in the course of his ministry, at one point in Matthew chapter five, Jesus makes it known that he came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but that he came rather to fulfill the law. And what is the law except for what we see over and over again, where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus say? He says, the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind. And what? And our neighbor as ourself, yes. The first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. It's all about love. This is Jesus's mission that he is on. He came to seek and to save the lost and the way he's doing it is by fulfilling the law, by loving perfectly, loving God, the father who sent him, loving his fellow man perfectly. The mission of Jesus is love. The motivation of God the Father is love. And of course, we know Jesus did this because he knows us, right? God does this because he knows that we are incapable of this kind of perfect love, both for him and for one another. So he enters the brokenness. That is all in the background. That is all essential stuff, biblical context, as we come into Romans 5 here tonight and see what we're seeing in the verses that we're looking at, what Paul is saying here. And what we see here, I think, with all of that in the background about love, the mission, the motive of God, all of this, it becomes very clear, abundantly so, I think, that there is simply no such thing as what we see in verse 5 of Romans 5, God's love being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, without Christmas. You don't get the spirit poured out, God's love into our hearts without the nativity, without the humble manger. I was thinking about it this week. It became really clear, this kind of this very 
might seem obvious to you, but this chain of events that we see, these things that are linked inherently. Because we know that, let me see, maybe it's the next slide. Yeah, there we go. So in other words, what, what we're seeing in the narrative of the scriptures, if there is no birth, if Jesus Christ doesn't come, if he is not enfleshed and born among us, then he cannot die on the cross. If Jesus Christ does not die on the cross, that means he cannot atone for sin. If Jesus Christ did not atone for sin, he cannot indwell us with his Holy Spirit. And if he does not indwell us with his Holy Spirit, that means that love is not poured out into our hearts. But it is. God's love is poured out into our hearts. Paul states it here in Romans 5 just as a fact. He doesn't try to defend it. He doesn't argue for it. He just says, this is so. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is gospel hope for us. And it all begins with, again, the incarnation, this great mystery, this profound moment of God himself becoming like us in a humble state. This is ground zero for God's mission of love, humanly speaking, the manger. It's right there. So as we're thinking about love, this is what I've been chewing on this week here. This is the story of love as we see it in the scriptures, what God is up to, the motive, the mission. And there's so many other things we could talk about here as we think about love in the scriptures. I was thinking this week about how we could uh, reflect a little bit on just the narrative itself of Mary and Joseph and kind of how we see love working out in those early chapters of the nativity as we see it in scripture. We can think about love from the perspective of just our culture and, and how love is being defined in our world and in our culture. And we could talk about that and what the scripture says to that and how it speaks to some of the things that are going on around us. We could take some time and think more about the love and the law and that relationship. We could think about love and the Trinity. God is love because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in love interacting, dancing with one another, right? The Trinity. All of these things we could dive into and, and sink our teeth into for, for more time. But I think the way that I wanna spend the next few moments is just to leave us with two, uh, two reflection application points, just to let us uh, think a little bit more on, on this theme and its relevance to us. If, if you're still with me, you with me? Okay. And then we'll, we'll partake of the communion together. So reflection number one, first application here, simply this. For the sake of your own soul, for the sake of my soul, and for our own spiritual health, just know this, be aware, and be sensitive to the fact that it is very, very easy, speaking first to myself here, it is very easy to know a lot about God's love know a lot about God's love without truly embracing God's love. Without truly experiencing it, without uh, having your heart transformed by God's love in a meaningful way. You can swim all, you know, in the pool with it and, the, and yet it, it's not, it hasn't gotten you, right? And we def desperately need God's love to get us especially in the deepest places, in the places of brokenness in our lives, 
places of shame, that those are the places that lo God's love needs to go. But it's easy to just kind of swim on the surface, be in gospel uh, circles, be in church circles where love is talked about and grace is talked about, but it do, it's, not, it's not entering in. One of the ways uh, this has become real for me in my life, kind of the, the journey of discipleship, uh, is through 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16. We see in this verse that John is writing this, this first epistle. Uh, John, John, you know, he's all about love. As we look at the gospel of John, he, the, the letters that he writes, uh, some scholars refer to John as the apostle of love. And what we see in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, well, I'll read up to it from 15. John writes that whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John loves this, like, this, this circular stuff, right? Like God in us, us in God, you know, love every, you know, this is, that's John's bread and butter. But in the midst of it, take note of what he says about love. He says, we have come to know and to believe. I think he's speaking there of, of kind of two ways of knowing, just slightly different emphasis, emphases of knowing love. One, I think the know, the first one there, kind of indicates a little bit more of like a cognitive awareness, the data, the information, which we need, right? We need the facts of the gospel, what God has done. We need the word. And yet also he says, not only know, but to know and to believe the love. And that speaks to me a little bit more of, of the heart, right? of the affections, as uh, the old uh, theologian Jonathan Edwards would love to talk to us about the affections of the heart. You know, biblically speaking, sometimes we, we speak of like the bowels even, or the guts. Essentially, it's what moves you deep within your soul. And so we need both of these things. We need the head knowledge and we need the heart movement when it comes to God's love. So the question then becomes, for me, for you, do you believe it? I mean, we swim in this all the time. There's so many songs about God's love, but do you believe it? it? Changes you if you believe it. You gotta sing it into our hearts, pray it into our hearts, memorize it into our hearts. Looking again, what Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 5, one of the impacts of really believing God's love, we see, he says, hope does not put us to shame. He says, hope does not put us to shame. And we might say, okay, why, Paul? Why does hope not put us to shame? And he says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. In other words, love, when love enters in, I think shame is pushed out. Love wins, love, love defeats the darkness. I think a good diagnostic question to ask might be uh, when it comes to how lo love is operating in your life and the love of God especially, is to ask where and how you see and experience yourself hiding. I think biblically speaking, Hiding is, is shame. We see that in Genesis 3, right? 
And if you're hiding in shame, it probably means that you are not open, that you are not in the light, that love hasn't connected in some way that it needs to connect. John, again, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's like this, let me get it right, horizontal, right, and vertical. Right? The love of God comes down and it creates a new reality among us. Eliminates that need for shame and for hiding from one another. Like Adam and Eve, they hid from one another. As soon as sin entered the garden, they covered themselves, right? And they hid themselves from God. Love changes that scene. Makes it so we don't have to hide from him or from each other. So all that said, back to the main point, right? Be aware of just that head, right? Just purely the head knowledge of love. Seek that the Lord would sink it deeper into your heart. Secondly, last uh, reflection point here for us. It kind of goes hand in hand with the first. But it's this. Uh, It's embrace what I'm calling the love forgiveness feedback loop. What does that mean? The love forgiveness feedback loop. We need to embrace it. I think uh, one of the places that uh, we see this most clearly in the scriptures, in my mind anyway, is the Gospel of Luke, and it's chapter 7. And it's this scene where we see Jesus dining with this man named Simon, and Simon is a Pharisee. And Jesus has got his disciples with him. And what we begin to see as we read the passage and, and see what's unfolding here is that um, along with all, all the eating and the festivities that are going on here, something else happens, and that is that uh, a woman comes into uh, the, the dining room area. And she is a woman who apparently has a reputation. She is, the text refers to her as a woman of the city. And what begins to happen is that she, she spills out this incredible uh, display of affection on the feet of Jesus. She, she, she uh, cries these tears, presumably of repentance on his feet. She wipes the tears with her hair. She kisses his feet. She, she anoints his feet with oil. Just these very emotive, passionate displays of affection, uh, of God doing something in her heart. And yet Simon, the host of the party, what is he doing there? He, he's, he's judging, right? He's standing back, he's looking at this whole thing, and he's going, Jesus, if you were who you claim to be, you would know who this woman is. You would not be okay with this happening. What does Jesus say? He says, no, Simon, you're dead wrong. Uh, I want to read the text for us, picking up in verse 44. Again, thinking about this feedback loop, forgiveness, love, how do we see it? The key verse is going to be at the end for us, verse 47, but I'll read just the context. It says, Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, Simon, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You, Simon, gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, truth, right? He doesn't hide that. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. That is so important. Do you catch that? He who is forgiven little, she who is forgiven little, loves little. In other words, there's this direct link in terms of how much, how, how big of a sinner you see yourself to be how much forgiveness you, you perceive yourself to have received by God and how much love you can receive from him. If you are only a tiny little sinner, you can only have a tiny bit of forgiveness and then you can only have a tiny bit of love and then you only have a tiny bit of love to share with the world. If you're a great big sinner, you need great big forgiveness. And in that is great big love from God. And that you can share with the world. And that's the feedback loop, right? You gotta know yourself, see your sin, be forgiven, receive that, continue in that grace, continue in that love. So we could come full circle, right? Kind of end where we started the Muppets. So, if it really is true that wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas, then the communion table is really Christmassy, right? Because at the communion table, where else do we see, where else do we receive and are reminded so deeply of the love of God and of what he has done? So let's do this, right? Let's partake of these elements, receive his love again and afresh. Yeah, if you, if you didn't grab one, take a moment, go grab it. While that's happening, I'll prepare mine as well, and I'll say this, that this meal is for those who know they need forgiveness. It's for those who know they need to receive afresh the love of God. That is what this is about. It's for those who have been baptized in his name, knowing that they need to be transformed and adopted into his family. So if you know your need, if you know you're not walking perfectly in love, partake of this, be encouraged, be built up. Receive it as love from God, our Father. Let's stand together. By the way, if you have not yet uh, been baptized, if you haven't partaken of this meal, maybe that's why you're here tonight, to hear this message, to receive it for the first time. Come talk to us about baptism. That'd be wonderful. That'd be a good Christmas gift. So on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread as I do now, ministering in his name. And when he had given thanks, he broke it 
saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take now and eat. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen? Let's drink together. Father in heaven, God, thank you for these tokens, these signs and seals of your love, your grace, your faithfulness to us. May they build us up and nourish us to be your people of love in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.